0: Her days of walking were over and yet she was so resilient about it and so optimistic. And I said, I I don't get it. How how do you have the courage to keep starting over and doing that? And she goes, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It matters what you do with it. And so, you know, hats off to Betty Germer. Thank God I had her to teach me because everything's going to work out. I'm strong. Because I'm Betty Germer's daughter. You're strong because your mom told her that you're going to figure it out. And to those people who didn't get that message, they can get it from us.
1: This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 372 with guest Fawn Germer. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen. A no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it. Life's too short for it to not kick ass.
0: And here's your host, the girl who serves
1: it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As usual, I am so glad that you are here. So this morning, I got a mammogram, and I wasn't going to mention it here on the show, but I figured... Hey, if you keep forgetting to make an appointment to get a mammogram, whether you have had them before or whether it's time for your first one, this is your sign. This is your reminder to make that appointment. Okay, switching gears. Today's talk is not about mammograms. It is a conversation with a dear friend of mine named Fawn Germer and... You'll hear in the very beginning, I ask her to tell the unusual story of how we met. It's pretty funny. And also, uh, we're giving away a copy of Fawn's latest book. So you have to wait until the very end of the show to hear how you can win a free copy of it. And be on the lookout in your inboxes late January, early February for an email for anyone who would like to be coached for free on the podcast by me, yours truly. We're going to be sending out that email very soon. So if you're not on our email list, you can simply text the word KICKASS to 33777. And lastly... If you'd like to change, if you'd like to shift, if you would like to improve your life, you can apply for private coaching by texting the word APPLY to 33777. Again, if you want to be on our email list, text the word "kick ass" To apply for coaching, text the word APPLY to 33777. All right. Let's get into it. For those of you who don't know Fawn, let me tell you a little bit about her. Fawn Germer is the best-selling author of nine books, including an Oprah book. She is one of America's top women's leadership speakers and is the top-ranked woman on the prestigious Global Gurus list of best leadership and motivational speakers worldwide. Her latest book is Coming Back, How to Win the Job You Want When You've Lost the Job You Need, which was published by St. Martin's Press on January 12th. She's a hoot. I know you're going to love her just as much as I do. So without further ado, here is Fawn. Fawn, you're finally here. I'm
0: finally here. (laughs) Uh, What a road we have traveled.
1: What a... Fun and funny road we have traveled. So I want to start by asking you to tell the story of how we met.
0: Well, that entails me using an inappropriate word for for broadcast, but I'm well. Luckily, you're on the perfect show for that. That's right. So (laughs) happily, I will do that. So I, for years, have been a uh, speaker, author, um, and motivational inspiration you're a
1: motivational speaker just say say it
0: (laughs) right but all these people are like you need to be a life coach and I would always say life coaches are bullshit yeah and then um and then they just kept saying you can make a lot of money so but I I have that old former journalist part of me that says I can't do anything that's bullshit so I typed the words into Google life coach, bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. I must not have had a lot to do that day. And whose name popped up? <laughs> <laughs> you. Now, it didn't pop up because you're bullshit, because anybody who listens to this knows <laughs> you're not. But I read your blog, and I was like, uh-huh. she's awesome. And remember, this I wrote was like you. like
1: 2011. This was yeah. like years and years ago.
0: Yeah. Okay. And remember, I wrote you because had your first book hadn't even come out. No, nope, it hadn't I, come out yet. And I was like, "You're awesome!" So that began. I became the first fan in the Andrea Owen. Film film. <laughs> My
1: first fan. Yep. But you have yet to become president, which I'm very disappointed that you haven't run for for office there.
0: Well, I hear the voting is rigged. <sighs>
1: Stop the steal! Stop the steal! Um, Yeah, somebody else won, and I'll try to help you overturn it. We'll take you to the
0: Supreme Court. That's right.
1: Well, it's it's so funny because this was like within my first year that I had launched your Kick Ass Life, and you know, back then this was before I had an assistant, and all the emails came to me on the contact page, and and I just. It, I don't I should look for the email because I think you said, you told me what you did. Like I typed in to Google life coach <laughs> bullshit or life coaching is bullshit. I thought it was hilarious. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to talk to you. So we Skyped and just hit it off. And you've been a mentor to me. I've been a mentor to you. And we've just had this really incredible friendship.
0: Love fest For almost right? 10 years. I know. Yeah. I know. And, and look-
1: that's that's why I say I'm finally no. having you on because you were talking to me, you know, about your new book coming out, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, how? Why have I never had you on my show?" I know, but I the apologize. moment is now.
0: New book, Fawn coming back, right? I have to. The, have the to moment learn to is do now. This, this shameless yeah. self-promotion tour. But, yeah.
1: Well, I want to ask you, Like, I have this whole list of questions, but I want to ask you, because you and I were talking, I think, last week, and you were telling me about a friend of yours and a conversation that you were having with him and saying how much you hate motivational speakers, but you are one. So tell me what you mean by that. Well, and you're a good motivational speaker, by the way.
0: Well, because I skipped the bullshit. And <laughs> the problem with most motivational speakers is that their only qualification to do it is that they're motivated, right? Okay. They they just put on some nice shoes and they Google their talking points and steal them from other people. And then they stand up and they tell stories. And a lot of times, if they're like stories that make people cry, they'll wipe a tear at the same time. And they'll tell the same story the same way a million times. And I'm a former investigative reporter, so I have very little talent, tolerance for BS and no fake news. Okay, that, that was the fake news was that there was that fake news thing. But I cannot stand anything that's fake. And so when I started doing the uh, the work that I'm doing, it was born out of a real personal professional disaster. So I had this boss hole who decided that he didn't like me and he really tried to ruin my career as a reporter. And he told me, you will never be any more than you are right now. You'll never be more than a reporter. And I took a very typical female path, which is to try to win him back. Right, do everything I can to get him to like me. And for two years, I worked so hard. And then. I get promoted by the city editor to editor to be the night city editor. And I go into my first meeting and she says, Fawn's going to be the new night city editor. And this guy had risen through the ranks and he just had happened to be there and dain us with his presence. And he goes, Oh no, there's no promotion. And it was at every step, this guy stood in my way and he humiliated me in that meeting. And I remember getting up, going to my desk, Calling the editor of the Tampa Tribune and um, asking the guy who had been trying to recruit me for four years, I said, If you're going to do it, you need to do it right now. And they got me an offer really quick. And I left and went into management. And, you know, as a hard charging, aggressive, impatient investigative reporter, I wasn't shall we say, suited for the how to win friends and influence people aspect of management and leadership. And Mm -hmm. I needed a book telling me how, as a strong woman in a male-dominated environment, to be successful. And there really wasn't anything. So my friend said, well, you're a journalist. Write it. And I, I was so sick of people writing books they weren't qualified to write. But I started to think I could get to great women leaders and learn what they learned the hard way and get their mentoring wisdom. Anyhow, so I, I do that. And that's kind of a storied experience because it got rejected everywhere. And I persevered and then got the first copy. And it was the day before 9-11 and my book tour got canceled. And I kept pushing again and wrote my letters to Oprah. And then it got to be an Oprah book. And, and then I get to be a speaker and go all over the world and do all this stuff. And none of it would have happened if that jerk hadn't told me I wasn't going anywhere. Uh-huh. but to me the the big lesson with that was that you know i had to get rid of the cynical side of me and actually believe in myself in a way that the cynic wouldn't allow and there was this book that i read no self respecting journalist is going to read a book called think and grow rich <laughs> it's a classic, right? It is a classic for a reason. It was written in 1928 by Napoleon Hill, and it talks about law of attraction and how you can get money and and success and all this stuff by really what you put in your head, and and you can talk yourself into success. and It's a and mindset think, book, yeah, yeah. And and it it made me successful. So anyhow, that is how I wound up being a motivational speaker. Was confronting. The negativity that was so ingrained in me because of what I did as a reporter and realizing there was a really very different world out there for me that was positive and that I could be just as impactful. I wasn't getting people thrown in jail or thrown out of office, but instead I was hitting people on a real human level. And doing women's leadership at a time when there there were not very many women speakers at all, so I was able Mm -hmm. to get a lot of business, and that's how that happened. So that's a really long. So it wasn't
1: a plan, yeah. Yeah. It just the universe had plans for you, exactly. Well, I know in in life or sorry, work life reset. You talk about a big change that you had when you lost. Didn't you lose both of your parents within a short amount of time? Yeah,
0: like two and a half. And then months. you had a,
1: a relationship that ended as well.
0: Yeah, and about and- a, a move-in-ready house that was a hole in the ground for all my money. And my my best friend dumped me, and yeah, that has since recovered. But it was—I who knew what was really going on there? But it was like the year of all the worst possible loss. Yeah,
1: and did you did you use specific coping mechanisms to get out of there, or did you find yourself floundering? Or what did the what did the recovery look like for that year? Well, that, I mean, we're having kind of a tough year over here yeah. in 2020 as well.
0: Well, you always have to know your core coping strategies. In mine, and that's specific to me, would be God, family, uh, the outdoors, exercise. You mean and, the positive and, coping strategies. Right, and affirmations. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right, as opposed to negative. You all but, have the but, negative ones. Right. So so I always knew that that would get me through any bad situation, except when confronted with grief, that was, that was different. Grief is mm-hmm. the boss, and it's like your feet are glued to the ground, and you know that because you've been through it. Mm-hmm. And I had these affirmations I had written so that I would um, – I have this easy recovery. All I would have to do is say affirmations like I always do. And then I'd be fine. You planned out your grief? (laughs) I did. I wrote these affirmations, 10 affirmations, and I couldn't say them. Because if you're not ready to get them and hear that message, it's not going to work. So I had a year that kept getting darker and darker and darker. And the day after my mom died, I had a speech in Dallas and I flew there and the death hadn't hit me and it, and i wanted her to be so proud of me and i did i did a great job and the people loved me and they invited me back to the same conference in the same place a year later so there i am exactly a year later in the same hotel with the same people as i was the day after my mother died and i realized how i had become depressed mm-hmm. and i said well i need either do something or take something and you know i have no problem with people taking medication because of depression i think that has saved so many lives and so many spirits but it was i started to think about something i had wanted to do in my wildest dreams and i flew home so i had that realization i was going to make this big change at 2 a.m. on a sunday flew home that day and 7 a.m. the next day, I'm at the southernmost beach in my county, which is Pinellas County, Florida. And mm-hmm. that first beach, the southern beach is in St. Petersburg. And every day I would walk seven to thirteen miles on the beach. So I'd put my bike to where I was going to walk. So I'd walk to my bike, I'd bike to the car. And every day I would do it. And I could as far as I looked, I could see and know that I had walked it. And nobody does that here because Our logistics are terrible. You can't get there. There's traffic. It's just nobody does it. But suddenly, I got this intimate connection with where I lived. And by the fourth day, I remember waking up thinking, "Oh, where am I going to walk today?" It was. It was hope had come back, and something to look forward to. And then, I, I. Kept walking and walking. And then we have these barrier islands, some that you can only get to by boat. A friend took me out in their boat to one. I kayaked out to one and rented a boat to one. And so, so that when I was done, I had walked every inch of beach in my county. And it was 59 miles. And, you know, you have to write something in the sand when you finish. And I don't like BS. So I I was like, this cannot be contrived. So I dropped to my knees. And I wrote the word done. Mm -hmm. And that was the most pivotal moment and the greatest growth experience because I really was done. You know, as a Mm -hmm. speaker, I always tell people, you never know how close you are to turning the corner until you turn the corner. So just keep moving forward. I always say that, right? But it was in that moment that I had turned the corner. And so I was done. And I thought... I wonder how long this is going to last and it lasted. So I went from this dark depression back into my own skin Mm -hmm. to who I was and who I loved just by taking that super long walk. And so I wrote reset and, and that was my last book. And I wrote it telling people, don't do what I did unless that's what trips your breakers do what's going to work for you. So if you like gardening Garden. If you like reading, you know, clear some time to do the thing you love the most, with the conscious intent of finding who you want to be once again. And it yeah. was it was great. And and then when these anniversaries of the deaths were coming up, and like my dad's death was coming up, and and instead of having a day like the anniversary of my mom's death on the day that was the anniversary of daddy's, I went down to Anna Maria Island, Florida, which is my home county and did the whole island, this beautiful, sun-drenched day. And I saw all these places where, as I was growing up, my mom and dad took us on picnics. And I felt close to them and close to my family. And it it was an absolutely perfect day. It was a very happy day. So the thing I know that works for me is when I'm feeling down, I need to go for a walk on the beach.
1: Uh I love that story and and that you mentioned that it might not be walks for someone it's like whatever it is yeah. there was a few things that you said that really jumped out at me and one is that it takes as long as it takes yeah i thought i mean i don't know who it was who said you know it's grief or like when you're i think it was about breakups it's it's a month for every year you were together which is such bullshit like that
0: no, yeah, who came not, up with that Somebody that
1: wanted to sell a program. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they have nice shoes and they are motivational speakers. It was, right? Yeah, it
1: was the first motivational speaker. Yeah. Uh, well, and it, it takes as long as it takes. And also, you know, for me, it was writing. And I felt like, I don't know if you felt this way or if people listening who've who've lost someone, whether it's through death or some other means. I felt like I couldn't do anything else until I wrote and it was i had total grief brain which is something i had never heard people talk about and it was similar to when i was pregnant um it's as if i lost brain cells and i was forgetful and couldn't focus and it was and i kind of didn't feel like myself but i felt like i had kind of gone very inward and had so many mixed emotions about things and didn't know which way was up. In a way, I felt like I was drowning in my own emotions and couldn't properly articulate them. And was I was very irritable. Yeah. So it was hard for people to help me because it's like I wanted people to help me, but they irritated me just by breathing too close to me. So wanted <laughs> them to get out of my face. So it was it was complicated and. I would be by myself, you know, and I was during the day and I was supposed to be working and making a living. And I felt like I couldn't could do nothing but write very dark poetry about my father. And I don't remember writing it. There's pieces that I pull up from my oh, Google Docs yeah. where I'm like, oh wow, that I've,
0: was dark I've got some things like that too. It's like, whoa. But I
1: had to do it. Mm-hmm. I had to do it, and and I don't I don't know that I I went into a dark depression. I I didn't. I I was very very sad, and it and and just it took me by surprise how it would feel. I think I I was a little bit like you, where I thought, okay, I have the tools. Yeah. This is gonna suck, but I'll manage. And I didn't realize how much my resisting it was going to make it worse.
0: Oh, right.
1: And make it last longer.
0: Well, and then think of the other thing, you're a life coach and I'm a motivational speaker. And in the middle of all of this darkness and desperation, we're having to make other people happy and, and feel good about themselves. <laughs> it's like literally our job. <laughs> oh, right. And, and and we're not at our best. Like I, one time I had to speak in Chicago at a big event and it was a beautiful day. And I remember, it's like, I was just like, you got to go outside and walk. You have to go outdoors. So I went up, got ready, put my sweater on, got in the elevator. And there's this really gorgeous guy in the elevator. And he looks at me Mm -hmm. and he goes, did you drop those? And I looked down and there's a pair of my underwear on the floor of the elevator. So somehow when I had stuck that sweater on, I don't know how my underwear got in the sleeve or whatever. (laughs) And I looked and he goes, I'd offer to pick it up, but maybe you want to get that one for yourself. (laughs) And that was just kind of how my life was then. If, If it just, there was just uncomfortable and sad. And I don't think I could have accelerated the recovery more. I mean, I, I think it would have been different if it had just been one parent, one thing. And instead it was that, that year where everything went wrong and which is a year like many people see 2020 and well, you know, I've got that very profound insight that I could definitely share with you, which is.
1: I want nothing more in the world for you to share that.
0: Every, Have I heard this before? I think I've, every shit storm ends. Yes. I okay. love this. Okay. Say more e- about that. Every shit storm ends. It just does. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like in my case, I had to take a step to help it. End, but the one thing we know is it will end. Somehow it will end. And so the people who are so frantic – aren't helping themselves in the midst of all this. I mean, you know, you've traveled a lot. Have you ever been on an airplane when it felt like you might be going down?
1: Well, I, I'm very scared of turbulence. So yes. Like <laughs> and I feel like and, I'm the only one who feels like it's going down. Well,
0: but I've been on them when people are screaming and. Oh, I'm not that dramatic. Okay. And you know, steep drop and. And it it was interesting to see what I did then, which was I just kind of leaned into it. And I thought, if this is how I'm supposed to go, Mm -hmm. it beats doing it slow and painful, like my mom was sick for 20 years. So um, this is okay. So I just kind of lean into that. And and that is what I think is a really good thing for dealing into our current shitstorm, which is that Mm -hmm. it's going to go on for a while. Just lean into it. Work with what you've got. So I've had a great year. You know, I haven't had the business I wish I had because as a speaker, you don't have any real big conferences happening Mm -hmm. right now. I don't know about you, but, you know, my online, yeah, but not like what it was. And I can sit here and be negative and frantic, but I also now have time to do things that I love and work out. And, you know, good Lord, I'm in Florida and the lockdown happened in March and April the two months of spring break, when we are inundated with spring breakers, spring training people, and the Canadians who come down for the, the season, right? <laughs> I love Canadians. And suddenly all those people were gone. So we, oh. got, we got our best weather to ourselves. And I was like, oh. man, this is awesome. And other people were just terrified. Well, just leave yeah. to it. You know? I, I talked about
1: yeah. this on another episode. The first couple of weeks, I went to that frantic place. I was the person screaming on the plane. That was me, and I think it was it was also coupled with a couple of other personal things that were going on, which exacerbated the problem. And <laughs> I had to take a good look at my mental health. And um, and it what the thing that helped me was a couple of things that I'll share with people. I and I've talked about this on the show, but I feel like it's worth repeating. I told myself two feet on the ground because it it was in the moments where I would spiral into the oh my gods and the what ifs that I had to stop myself and say two feet on the ground. And I would say it out loud, two feet on the ground. And I would put both of my feet on the carpet and just concentrate on that because it was all I had in that moment. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no idea if we're going to mm. have any money at the end of the year. I have no idea what's going to happen with my career as an author and a speaker. I, I, I have no control over it in this moment, right? this second I'm not making decisions. So that was helpful. And, and also just, I knew from the beginning, probably around late March, I did some research on the Spanish flu. And saw how long it took to recover from that. And I thought to myself, buckle up. We're yeah. going to be here for a while. Cause I kept hearing people say, oh, by July, we're going to, everything's going to be fine. And, and, you know, the kids will go back to school. And I'm like, no. I don't think so. I don't even think they're going back in the fall. And and I was talking to my neighbor about it and he's like, "Oh, I disagree with you, Andrea. I think they'll go back in the fall." And I'm like, "I'm not I'm not betting on it." Right. Like, and and that was helpful. It was surrender, it was acceptance. I wasn't expecting the worst, but I just I was kind of just like, if this goes on for 2 years, well, you know, I guess it's a good thing I like my husband right. <laughs> because a lot of people don't like their partners. that's yeah, right. You're really not- feeling it. Yeah. gosh my heart goes out to them and and I just it 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 sort of I don't want to say it forced me but it it allowed me in a loving way to truly ground into the gratitude because gratitude can just become like this yes, surface yeah kind of like your affirmations that you had planned on telling and there's a huge difference for me at least to truly lean into the feeling of gratitude rather than just the words.
0: Yeah, and I forgot to put that on my coping strategy thing. That that's the fastest way to stop a downward spiral is to realize how rich you are. Yeah. And you know, I had this moment in March because every single conference canceled. Boom 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 boom. boom, boom. It was just it, it it was just like you watch when they they blow up a building. That that was my career. And I remember I was standing in my kitchen and I started to laugh because I thought, wow, I've been here before because my first book, Hard One Wisdom came out the day before 9-11. And um, because every book tour was canceled and everybody had given up, it left this enormous window of opportunity for me to create a bestseller. That's when it got on Oprah and all that. And None of that, I think, mean, would have happened if I was competing against all the authors, but everybody had given up. And it hit me. I have a book coming out in January telling people how to reboot their careers, get hired, everything that they need to know in order to repackage themselves and have a sustainable, thriving career and make change and transition if you have to. Could there have been a better time? No. And I just started laughing. I was like, oh, because I think the universe provides. For most of us, as long as we're not sick, we will figure it out.
1: Uh-huh. We may
0: need guidance on what to do, which is why I wrote my book, right? is to give people that guidance, but but we may need a little help getting there. But the odds of you or me not figuring it out are zero because we won't stop until we do. And most of the people who are listening to this also have that ability to make up their minds and drive forward. What they may not have is the certainty that they'll get what they need. And that goes back to that think and grow rich. I mean, everything that he said, what you put in your head is what you're going to manifest. So you don't pollute your head with fear. You just say, okay, I'll figure this out. We'll get there. And, And we're certainly not in the worst shape.
1: I just, I love the, you'll, you'll figure this out. It reminds me of I'm making, I'm doing a gallery wall in my office and I bought, I'm buying just, it, it's actually turning into the theme of it is just, it's feminism. I have our RBG canvas portrait and anyway, and, and there's some, there's a few sayings and one of them, I sort of laughed when I saw it. Cause it said, you'll figure something out. And my mom used to say that to me. And I used to get so irritated when she would say it because I'm like, I want you to have a better answer than that, (laughs) but
0: But what a perfect answer. It's that she's saying, putting the power in my hands, be resilient, you know? Mm -hmm. You'll figure something out. And and I had a mom who had a stroke and was paralyzed when she was 66. And then 10 years later, got Alzheimer's. And so she, for 20 years, she suffered. And yet more than anybody ever met in my life, she had joy. She had joy and there there was a lot that i learned about you know accepting coping and adapting but when she had the stroke she went through all her rehab she was doing better then she broke one hip and she had to start all over again and she came back with all those same physical therapists coming and i mean she just it was hard cuz she was already paralyzed right so mm-hmm. she came back and then she got it so she could stand up and she could walk some and then fell again and broke the other hip and had to start oh over again, but with the weak side. So we knew at that point her days of walking were over and yet she was so resilient about it and so optimistic. And I said, I, I don't get it. How, how do you have the courage to keep starting over and doing that? And she goes, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It matters what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And so you know, hats off to Betty Germer. Thank God I had her to teach me because everything's going to work out. I'm strong because I'm Betty Germer's daughter. You're strong mm-hmm. because your mom told her that you're going to figure it out. And it, mm-hmm. to those people who didn't get that message, they can get it from us because you are not a sissy. Buck up. Get out there. Make it work. <laughs>
1: You're so old school. I, I love it. What's
0: old school?
1: Sissy? I don't think we say that anymore.
0: <laughs> what do you say? Wimp? I mean, Maybe. I think sissy yes. is a good word.
1: <laughs> well, you just don't say that to little boys. Crit,
0: crit like to, well, I didn't say it. Oh, so we do have guys listening? I think there's like one or two. <laughs> don't feel us. Mostly. <laughs> <Don't pull laughs> us.
1: Okay. I love that you talk about, I remember you talking about this on Facebook one time about hard conversations and how we have to make peace with that. So can you talk about that?
0: Oh, yeah. I love that. The uncomfortable conversation, because I think that everything that's difficult in life or was for me generally sprang out of the fact that I did not like confrontation and I didn't want to do things that made other people uncomfortable. And that most people are like that. They will endure a bad relationship or a bad situation. They Mm -hmm. won't say something because they're trying to avoid an uncomfortable conversation.
1: Well, well, I wanna before you continue, I wanna normalize that people don't like confrontation. Because like who does? Like, I don't think I want to be friends with somebody who like loves confrontation.
0: <laughs> we all you don't have to like now it. get with the Fawn method. I'm gonna teach you about this. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah, I realized it's, it's, I realized an uncomfortable conversation generally takes between three and 15 minutes and then it's yes. over. So you just kind of have to vomit it up. And so there is my friend, and I her she's well, oh, she's in her 80s now, but she's really like somebody who's in her 60s and she's wild. And she's a I don't want to out her for this, but she has a home on the Wikiwachi River, which is spectacular, it's beautiful. And everybody, is that in Florida? yeah, and it's a okay. of the bottom river. And everybody would go and sit on her deck, and she believed in southern hospitality, and she would take care of everybody. and just wait on everybody hand and foot. And she was so nice. We thought she liked us being there. So we'd bring more people and then more people. And it kind of occurred to me at some point, she was really sick of this. And um, there was somebody who's a friend of hers, who would every year bring her mother to stay there for 10 days. Oh, wow. And at one point she says to me, I'm getting so upset. She's going to bring her mother. All that woman does is sit on my back deck, smoke cigarettes, and sit on her butt. I said, well, just say that she can't come. And she goes, I can't do that. I'm like, yes, you can. It's an uncomfortable conversation. An uncomfortable conversation takes between 3 and 15 minutes. I can't do that, Granny. Yes, you can. I can't. I said, that's fine. So, you know, a couple weeks passed. I am just dreading that visit. She's just going to sit on my deck, smoking cigarettes on her butt, doing nothing. I said, tell so-and-so not to bring her. I can't do that. I said, yeah, <laughs> It's an uncomfortable conversation. It takes between three and 15 minutes. I can't. Yeah, you can. I can't. I said, that's fine. But you know what's going to happen if you don't? What? She's going to bring her next year, too. She's going to smoke cigarettes. Right. <laughs> dead silent. A dead silence. And then the next morning, my cell phone rings at 7 a.m. And I see that it's her. I said, hey, what's going on? She goes, well, I did it. I said, what'd you do? She goes, I had an uncomfortable conversation. I said, really? <laughs> what'd you say? I said, you are welcome to visit here whenever you want. But only you. Just you. And I said, wow. And when she said, Granny goes, nothing. And I said, see, and it took between three and 15 minutes. She goes, 15 seconds. (laughs) Well, so, okay, when you're saying it's okay to, to not groove on the confrontation thing. So, what I learned when it was three to 15 seconds is you suck it up and you do it. And when you do it, after you've done it three or four times, it gets really easy to do it. I once had two uncomfortable conversations in five minutes, <laughs> right? I had told my friend I was going to on her home and then I thought, what am I doing? So I had to call her and say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then I had to fire the financial planner who was the husband of my f- really close friend. And I did all that in five minutes because you just blurt it out and say it and you're allowed to do it. And there have been some very, very uncomfortable conversations, but they are quick. So. Yeah. You can sit there and be upset for the longest time or make peace with something, or just deal with it. And I say deal with it because you do it this time and then the next and then the next. And it just gets easier.
1: It does get easier because I, I think then we gather the evidence that we're not going to die. And you know, we have no control over how that person, you know, my my friend Amy Smith talks about this a lot and how I love when she says that we have no control of how they're going to respond. All we have control over is how we show up in that moment. So don't be a dick. You know. don't, yeah. be, Hi. You don't have to be mean and, no. and aggressive. You can still be kind. Yeah.
0: Oh, and here's the other thing, because sometimes you work with people who may knife you in the back, or certainly we've all been betrayed by friends. And sometimes people are f- afraid to confront it because they don't want that person to twist it and hurt their reputation further on. And I just tell people, if that's hard for you, all you have to do is say, I know what you did. (laughs) And they'll be like, what, what? And y'all repeat it again, I know what you did. And then if you really (laughs) want to get them, you do it this way. I know what you did. And I know more about what you did than you think I know. (laughs) You're like a witch. It's not a witch. It's just an aggressive form. That's a
1: little witchy, fun. Oh,
0: come on. Look. <laughs> I think it's awesome because if I think it's knifed funny. you in the back, and the worst thing you're going to say is, I know what you did. That is I think something that's my actually would fine. Do.
1: That is something my mother would do. And she's, she won't admit that she's a witch, but she is. Like she's actually done spells on people
0: and things have happened. And <laughs> well, that is I feel like a show worse. on its Oh, but I honestly, I don't think that setting a boundary and saying, I know what you did and you didn't get away with it is witchy. I think that
1: you're saying like, say that even though you might not have any dirt on the person.
0: Well, you usually do. Okay, (laughs) That's true. No, I mean, it's, it's not, it's when you know, someone has done something to you and that they're going to twist it or you don't feel comfortable with the full confrontation. Just say that. I know what you did. Because okay. when you say nothing, they got away with it and they'll do it again.
1: Yeah. I've had people use my vulnerabilities against me and that feels, that's just the
0: shittiest thing. Isn't that? That's,
1: oh, that's And that's where you know that you need to set really strong boundaries.
0: Well, do you think it's because you didn't set them in the first place? Because I think- No, and the one I'm
1: thinking of is because I did set them in the first place. That person got angry that I set them, threw a bunch of shit at me. I apologized for something that- really ch- like where I had screwed up that I needed to own. And then that person used that against me that I was being vulnerable and saying, I'm, I'm sorry. So that person was just really showing me who they were and it was heartbreaking, but at the same time validating that like, yeah, I set the boundary and I needed to, cause I was starting to doubt yeah. you know, my boundary. Like maybe they're, maybe they're you know hurting. Maybe they need me and can't, can't do it. Won't do it
0: yeah uh, boundaries are good. once you learn to do that too, that's the same thing is that when you say it knows a complete sentence, I certainly didn't invent that line, but that you know when you set a boundary on what you'll take and what you won't,
1: mm-hmm.
0: then you have all the power
1: you do and you also, yes, and you know quickly who's willing to honor that and honor you and and who isn't. yeah, you'll know very quickly. You know, not every, I've, I've come to the conclusion in, in my midlife that not everybody's, it's not everybody's destiny to evolve.
0: Oh, I haven't come to that conclusion yet. (laughs) I will try endlessly.
1: (laughs) I'll always wish that they will. I, you know. But I, I can't, I can't force them.
0: I know. I, that's. I think there's some Virgo thing going on. You know, I have that sense of justice, injustice, right and wrong. And it's like, you should see this on yourself so that you could be better. And, and yeah, you're right. Yeah. Some people have no intent or ability to evolve, but doesn't mean we have to hang around with them.
1: Doesn't mean we have to hang around with them. The thing that helped me is, is I've made peace with the fact that it's not my job to keep reading oh, them, yeah. and I know a lot of people listening. Like I've, I've, I've been asked the question. You know, how do I get my partner to? I've bought them self help books, and you know they listen to Fawn Germer's motivational speeches. <laughs> <It> certainly, <laughs> and, <everything>. and nothing, <laughs> and nothing, and they won't change, or they won't get on board, or they they make fun of me for for wanting to better myself, and. I think that's super painful, but I also think that, yeah, it's just not everybody's destiny. Maybe in another life. I mean, if you believe that, but not this one.
0: Yeah. I think that's, there's some truth to that. I, I, I used to invite my husband when I'd go out with the girls. And finally one time he said, I don't like going out with them. And I said, why? And he goes, because you all get together and you talk about things like growth. <laughs> 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 I thought, that was, that was spot on profound. Yeah. But it's also I like hanging out with people who do choose to evolve and change and grow. And um but you're right, there are people who aren't here for that purpose and that's then you get into that whole discussion of old souls and young souls and maybe they'll get it at some point but
1: yeah, who who knows? I mean, I'm still kind of on the fence about I don't think too deeply into that. I love people that that are so you know yes or no with it. But I just haven't given it too much thought yet. Well, before we close up, is there anything? I had a whole list of questions to ask you, which I only got to like two of 10 of them. <laughs> is there anything that you wanna that you want to close up with and say before we say goodbye?
0: Before we say goodbye. My book, Coming Back, How to Yay! Win. Yeah, right, how to win the job you want when you've lost the job you need. It's about repositioning yourself, even if you're still working, how to keep your career on track so you know not sputter out, dealing with age issues getting into the workforce if you took a time out to have a baby or travel or take care of a loved one and if you're unemployed especially how to get Okay, that's what I
1: was going to ask you. So it's yeah. good for people who are in transition in their career as well as yeah. people who may have lost their job
0: yeah. due okay. to covid or some other men thing. and women, yep. And I, I, I love I it. Interviewed 300 CEOs senior executives, academics, professionals, just so many people to find out what it takes to actually have a viable, relevant career now. So it's now in 2020, 2021. Right. Tell us the name of it again. Coming back, how to win the job you want when you've lost the job you need.
1: Ah, what a great subtitle.
0: Yeah, they you know it's I saw it and I thought oh well, that'll sell but really it's also for people who are still employed very much
1: Thank them. you so much for being on the show this has been so fun. And long overdue. She's blowing me air kisses for those you can't see
0: Yes, (laughs) And to all of you at home, air kisses as well. Air kisses.
1: Well, I value my listeners' time so much. I'm so grateful that you are here. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place thank you so much for listening to the show. And if you are interested in winning a free copy of Fawn's latest book, Coming Back, How to Win the Job You Want When You've Lost the Job You Need, head on over to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash life, And look for the post that is promoting this show. It's one of the podcast images that has a picture of Fawn on it, and it'll say episode 372. You can read the text there. But basically, We just want to know in a comment, what was your biggest takeaway of this particular show? What was your favorite part? We're going to do a random drawing on February 3rd, and that winner will be notified in the comments and via private message.